Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, welcome to Set the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher. You've seen me with Now we do it. And a mixture of uh, the Andrew Kissick's uh, case of music that we gave to Mr. Uh, Adam. And finally took a list of names that included the same Parlor and Radiohead and various others. I'm now matching them all together and this is what we've got. Uh, I like it. All right, today we're going to talk about a little bit of the Women's World Cup, and then we're going to dive into the NFC West. Uh, talk about division odds, uh, awards markets, make miss playoffs, all of that. But let's start off with the Women's World Cup. Your country is out, Drew. Mine lives on, uh, although I needed Denmark this morning. Uh, it's the joy of betting. Uh, get real patriotic. Uh, what did you make of the U.S. Women's National Team's exit and uh, and the outright odds as they stand? Yeah, uh, what a whimper. Um, out with a whimper. My goodness. Uh, it was uh, uh, a losing uh, World Women's World Cup for me. Um, my biggest position was U.S. title, and they don't make it out of the first round of the knockouts, which is a first. Uh, I think uh, to this point, the U.S. women were in the final four in every Women's World Cup that's been contested. Um, and considering the talent on this team, this is a, a pretty dramatic underperformance. Um, I don't know if it was as unlucky as it felt. It felt very unlucky, though. They had so many dangerous attacks. They had XG stats that they did not live up to in almost every game, as far as I could remember, uh, particularly the last two games, the, the 0-0 draw against Portugal and then the uh, the penalty kick loss. Um, the chances were there. The finishing was miserable. And uh, I don't know where they go from here in terms of managerial, you know, managerial decision-making, but I would expect there's a change. Uh, and we kind of com- comped these guys, I think, to the Golden State Warriors in terms of they were trying to do something a little difficult, which is keep the old superstars on the field while bringing up the next generation at the same time. And when you do that, people's roles, responsibilities get a little bit confused. And uh, that did seem to be a little bit of the issue, at least from the uh, scoring output department. But um, yeah, this was a disappointment. And as I look at the current market right now and the prices that are scrolling at the bottom of the screen, um, Spain should be favored. I do not know why they are plus 333. Uh, I, at a minimum, they should be co-favored with England. I don't know who thought that what they've seen from England to this point in the tournament was what they were expected. Uh, you know, they if, if, if the U.S. was the most underperforming team, Germany's probably second. England is right up there, even though they're still alive. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, you know, their path is a, a hair easier. Spain's going to have to go through likely Netherlands winner of Japan, Sweden, and then take on whoever's the best on the bottom. But, uh, the way that team's playing right now in terms of chemistry and the continuity that they have with all of those women coming from the same club system and really, really knowing and understanding each other. Well, I think is going to carry Spain to, uh, their first world women's world cup. Okay. Well, 
I think what the past few days have reminded me is that penal- penalty taking, I think, is is made a lot more difficult than it needs to be in terms of uh, it just feels like players across both the men's and women's codes are just so often try and paint corners, which I just don't think is necessary at all, given the fact that even if it's a weekly taken penalty, like he's shooting it in broad terms, left, middle or right. And if you just pick one of those directions and there's a two in three chance the goalkeeper goes the wrong way, like you just have to put the ball on net at an absolute minimum uh, and maybe give up some of the corner to do that. And that's shaped a lot of this tournament so far. I think in terms of the odds as they stand, I agree. England... England really should have lost uh, today. They were outplayed and it's uh, a little silly of a cliche that it's harder to play against 10 men or women. But in this case, I think it actually uh, did bear out where as soon as Lauren James went down uh, or got sent off, England just found shape. They shifted from a back three to a back four. It meant that uh, uh, Nigeria couldn't get in behind their wing backs anymore. And all of a sudden, England kind of took ascendancy. But the fact that they had to lose a player and go down to 10 to be able to do that surely isn't a good sign. They haven't had any fluency all tournament outside of stomping China. Uh, Spain, uh, I agree, have been more impressive than England, but they also lost 4 nothing to Japan in a game that they could have used to win the group. So I think Japan have been the most impressive team so far. Plus 450 is not super appetizing. You're probably better off just backing match by match. But, I mean, they've been dominant every single match. They've been excellent. They look like the most organized team. To be honest, I I think the second most impressive team at this point has been Australia, where today, this is where XG can be a little misleading, where Australia barely beat Denmark on XG. That game outside of the first 10 minutes was just never close. Australia was bigger, stronger, faster, more skilled. They had a clear plan where they were going to sit back and then just destroy the Danes on the counter, which they did. Got them the first goal and got them the second goal as well. And the fact that Sam Kerr came back on, well, she came on with 10 minutes to go. I mean, I think that's a pretty good sign for her health, given that the game was in hand up to nothing and they still brought her on to give her a run. And she is the best or the second best player in the world. So to be able to have that up your sleeve, if I was going to make one bet right now in the outright, I think I would probably take Australia just because they're on the easier side of the draw. And here's the other thing that is not being factored into these odds at all. This is not a particularly... Uh, strong market, I think, in terms of the way it's priced, is that Lauren James has been the best player for England this tournament, and she stomped on someone and got a red card, and that's violent conduct, and that's a three-match suspension, and that's her tournament done, which is not reflected here at all. So I think that that makes it even easier for Australia, obviously home crowd uh, and everything. Caitlin Ford looking like Vinicius Jr. out there. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think of uh, my Australians? <laughs> well, I like the two teams that you backed are Pacific Rim teams, and they're yeah. playing in that time zone. And for what it's worth, it has felt like that has mattered so far. Um, I would say that, you know, everything we've talked about, I just kind of want England no. <laughs> Like, I want to lay the England no price. Uh, yeah, I don't think we see James again. And I think uh, I think that 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 price, that, that specific pricing in the market is the one that I just can't get close to. Yep, I agree. Uh, I think, yeah, you're better off looking at Spain, Japan uh, and Australia. All right. Before we get 
to the San Francisco 49ers. A reminder that with the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide, get ready for your draft, and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use draft 2023 to save 20% at checkout. All right, NFC West from Caitlin Ford to Nick Bosa. Uh, the 49ers, their win total 10 and a half, backed over minus 140, 10 to 1 to have the most regular season wins, minus 450 to make the playoffs, plus 375 to miss, and minus 165 to win the division. So one of the heaviest favorites to win their division uh, along with the Jags and the Chiefs. What do you make of this team? So this is, a, I kind of give up doubting property at this point. I did not think we would be here at the beginning of August talking about how, you know, his first team reps and, you know, him carrying last season's success into this season as the starter after undergoing elbow surgery in March. But here we are. I give up. Uh, if, you know, as I look at the Niners, um, a couple of things are pretty clear to me. Number one, this is the most talented roster in football. I don't think that that's even really that debatable. Uh, if you want to specifically single out the quarterback position and say, well, yeah, but their quarterback is the 20th or the 15th or whatever, however you rate Purdy in terms of your expectations from the season, it doesn't change the fact that every other position on this roster and every other positional group has like Hall of Fame level players. This is unbelievable defense where you have, you know, a guy like Nick Bosa anchoring the D line. Uh, and Fred Warner in the secondary, and the and then uh, you know I personally uh, think Halfanga is a future superstar at safety. Uh, his performance last year was incredible, uh, and then all of the players around them are plus level players, including some other guys who would be the clear you know CB one, uh, DE one linebacker one for other squads in the NFL, and they're your second and third options. So this is a deep, outstanding defense that should be able to repeat success from last year. Uh, and then the skill position group that they have uh, combined with Kyle Shanahan makes them uh, you know, a surefire top five offense, regardless of who is at the quarterback position between the three choices that they have at the moment. And to make matters even easier for the Niners, they have the easiest schedule, in my opinion, because they have four games against the Cardinals and the Rams. And the Cardinals and the Rams, who we'll get to later, are not NFL rosters that I can tell you. They are uh, they are going to be relatively uh, you know winnable games in division. Uh, you happen to own the Seahawks specifically with your defensive scheme against what they want to do offensively. Um, and I think realistically, uh, if you if you were to say you can only have one divisional winner, but you must be right, I would pick the Niners, and it would be. Uh, a pretty quick and easy decision because I just hold them much higher than the rest of the NFC West as currently rostered. And I can say that with confidence because even if something does happen to Brock Purdy, even if something then happens to Sam Darnold, even if something then happens to Trey Lance, it is still, a, you know, the, the, the key, you know, uh, aspect of this offense is Kyle Shanahan's specific scheme and vision. And that is not something that an injury is apparently you know, is, is could possibly take away from this team. Uh, and you know the depth, the redundancy, everything all told, uh, I would be surprised if the Niners are not in the NFC Championship game. Uh, and I would be extremely surprised if someone can uh, knock them off the throne of the NFC West. 
Yep, I think that makes sense. I think I, I feel lower than market on the Niners, but at the same time, I think they have such an advantage in the NFC, the fact that Philadelphia and Dallas, who I think I might prefer to the Niners, uh, but the fact that they play in the same division and one of them is going to end up a five seed uh, and going to be a coin flip almost to get a five seed, I think the Niners, that puts them very well placed. I, a way to think about Brock Purdy, uh, who is getting a lot of love at the moment. And I understand that he was undefeated uh, as a rookie and all of that. If Brock Purdy was the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers going into this year, like is it a favorite that he stays the start of the whole season or would he get benched at some point because uh, he doesn't have the amazing context around him? And look, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a worthwhile question. But I think it also, I'm not even sure that that really matters. I'm not sure how good he needs to be. He was clearly good enough last year for them not to lose a game and I do think to your point about just the safety of that position in terms of having what we think are three viable candidates just to ensure them against injury like they have to be just about the most insured team against quarterback injury ever given that you've got these three guys who uh I don't think there's massive differences between the three obviously you'd rather have Purdy than Sam Darnold, I, I think. Maybe it's not obvious. Uh, but the fact <laughs> that you have those skill position players, uh, you have Trent Williams, the rest of the offensive line is a bit of a question mark. And then you have Shanahan, mm -hmm. of course. And there's just lack of a high upside threat in the division. The Cardinals and the Rams have no upside. The Seahawks have yeah. a little bit. We'll get to them. But I agree that they are the most likely team to win their division. I think there's probably a little bit of meat on the bone at minus 165, yeah. even uh, a nice little parlay leg. In terms of awards markets, there's nothing that really jumps out to me. Brock Purdy, 40 to 1 MVP. Trey Lance, 50 to 1. Uh, neither of those. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is the third favorite at 16 to 1 for Offensive Player of the Year. I just I worry that McCaffrey is just not going to get the sheer rushing volume mm -hmm. because that's not really how Shanahan wants to operate. I think he can certainly win the award, but uh, I don't think that I would have him in the absolute tier one where he's priced uh, at the moment. And then Nick Bosa is 11 to 1 to repeat uh, as Defensive Player of the Year. I think that's around fair. Uh, and then Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> 30 to 1 coach of the year. Uh, it hurts even just saying those words aloud after he went down last year. But I think the bar for him to win that award is like 15 and 2 in the one seed. Yeah. Uh, any of those markets appealing to you? No. Uh, and I, because I, I agree with your breakdown there. Um, and I think I have not, even as bullish as I am on the Niners and all that, that, you know, kind of soliloquy off the top there. Um, I think the bet the buy-in point on the Niners is probably like around early November. Um, their schedule is sequenced so that they have sort of their toughest stretch from week five to week ten, uh, and then a couple other challenging games before we get to December. But they finish with you know an absolute sprint coming down uh, you know the final five weeks of the season, um, and so I think an ideal opportunity for us as people who are playing the futures market throughout the season. Uh, I hope that through the middle portion of the season, the Niners take a couple of losses. People start to doubt Bird, you know, Brock Purdy. Oh, oh, now they had a year of ta tape on him and this is, they, they figured it out, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, in reality, like, yeah, there's lots of reasons to be somewhat skeptical that Brock Purdy is going to continue to play at this level. He may not be as good as his numbers say, but, you know, that's sort of the, what goes along with coming under, uh, you know, playing under uh, Kyle Shanahan. So um, I think realistically, uh, a midseason entry point on the Niners as they are starting to round into their 
uh, playoff stretch would be the uh, the optimal way to play this. And um, and I think uh, you know I think an entry point on to win the NFC is really where I'm going to mostly attack because I can see I can see the Niners not being especially well matched up against whoever comes out of the AFC. There's just uh, you know enough elite offenses there. Uh, that I think uh, you know, Super Bowl is probably not the right angle here. So uh, I'm going to sit tight. I'm going to hope that they uh, go through a little bit of growing pains as Brock is is reintegrated off the injury. Uh, and I'm going to look for uh, a Niners uh, to win the NFC price. We'll say the entry point that I would uh, be the most excited for uh, would be uh, anything above ten to one. Yes, that would that would certainly be nice. I think that. There's not that much room for this price to get shorter, and I'd probably rather just confirm that Brock Purdy is what he was at the end of last season uh, before jumping it all in on the Niners, who do still, I agree that they the talent is surreal, but they do still have some weaknesses, offensive line outside of Trent Williams. My man, Diomedor Lenoir, uh, going to keep with the Parisian pronunciation this season uh, for Lenoir. Uh, he's not an ideal CB2, I think, in terms of picking on him, but they're still pretty loaded. Uh, their main competition is going to come most likely from the Seahawks. Win total, 8.5, minus 150, the over there. Minus 120 to make the playoffs, uh, plus 100 miss. Plus 195 to win the NFC West, which normally wouldn't would, would seem incredibly short, but uh, in a division that has, I think, two realistic candidates to win it, uh, that speaks to why the price is somewhat short. I think the most interesting thing with the Seahawks is is just Geno Smith and how real last season was uh, and where he settles into this season. First five weeks of last year, he was a top three, top four quarterback in the league. And then after that, he really fell off. But I don't think that that really registered in the the public conscience of just how much he had fallen off. He had incredible interception luck. Just random moments like the late, uh, I think, Thursday night game against the Niners where he throws a terrible pick, but he get, gets called back because of a garbage rough in the passer call against Bosa. Just felt like he was getting one of those every week uh, in terms of PFF stat. Uh, of turnover-worthy throws. Gino was right up the top. And so I think he probably settled in by the end of the season as like on the balance of work, the 13th, 14th best quarterback in the league, that type of range. And I think the Seahawks would be pretty pleased if they get that again this year. But what do you think of, of Gino and the Hawks? Yeah, I, I have kind of a split mindset on this because I believe it was real. What he showed you was that, you know, he, he does have some strengths that specifically pair well with the style of defenses teams like to run now. And for those reasons, if he's making tight window throws, this is a good offense uh, and they have relatively, you know, clear playoff upside. All that said, I don't think the Seahawks match up well at all with the Niners specifically. And for those reasons, uh, you know, we're talking wild card and we're talking Geno Smith. If they are going to ultimately be a bet to win the NFC or a Super Bowl bet, then you would need them to go on the road uh, in the playoffs and win three games. And I do not see that with this squad. There is a specific weakness that I think is going to hold Geno Smith back this year. And it's not his fault necessarily, but I don't I entirely understand the decision-making behind the way they have populated this interior offensive line. Uh, you have two of the better, you know, you have a very strong tackle duo uh, with the young tackles you drafted last year. 
Uh, and the fact that you hit on those two guys, congratulations. Um, but you need to have that same level of luck here with, with pieces you've put in this interior offensive line because as rostered, they are grading poorly. Um, Evan Brown is your center, is a question mark. Damian Lewis, left guard. Phil Hayes, right, Haynes, right guard. Uh, this is a you know, bot, clear bottom 10, maybe bottom five interior offensive line. And there was a clear correlation last year. Gino struggled down the stretch in the games where teams were getting interior pressure on him. Uh, the fact that you have a running attack that also is going to maybe struggle to get going, particularly with inside runs, um, to me spells trouble for the, the Seattle overall, their offense reaching the levels we saw from them last year. I grade the Seattle offense uh, in totality in terms of offensive personnel as 18th best in the NFL. Uh, I grade their defense as 19th best. I grade their starters combined as the 17th best. That said, this team's probably making the playoffs <laughs> because there are some very straightforward wins on their schedule. Um, and considering the weakness of the NFC broadly and just in general how competitive some of the other divisions are, uh, I think the fact that you uh, you get you know uh, positive matchups against the Rams twice and the Cardinals twice is uh, is you know that's that's a nice way to uh, pad your win loss record in a in a in in the same sense that got them into the seventh seed last year. So uh, playoffs, I am projecting them to be in the seven teams in the NFC that make the playoffs, even though they are uh, you know a bottom half of the you know NFL roster for me. Um, but uh, you know this is entirely schedule dependent, and if any of the teams that are on here are surprised to the good, then all of a sudden this is going to be much tougher. So I have not bet anything related to the Seahawks positively right now. Uh, I just think that all the signs are pretty clear that uh, that they don't they don't realistically match up with the Niners in division. Yeah, there's. I mean, they've had I think an influx of talent, so that just the talent level should be better with. Jamal Adams comes back. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba comes in uh, and should help immediately. They're pretty loaded at skill position overall between uh, JSN and Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. They do have a lot of talent there. The offensive line is just more experienced now. It's very young last year, just an extra year. There should be more continuity. They should just get better across the board. But there is just something... Something about Gino, just don't entirely trust. He has this weird player <laughs> profile where he's extremely accurate, but then just throws a lot of turnover-worthy throws where I think just, I mean, and, and they're just comical turnovers as well, just like not seeing the linebacker, but then also throwing some of the prettiest 40-yard deep balls um, that you'll see. Uh, in terms of awards markets, Gino 30 to 1 MVP, no interest there. Uh, JSN 12 to 1 Offensive Rookie of the Year. Just don't think he's quite going to get the target share alongside Metcalf and Lockett. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, O'Roy 40 to 1. Only interesting if Kenneth Walker goes down, which to be fair uh, is a relatively high likelihood compared to other players. And then Pete Carroll is 25 to 1 to win Coach of the Year, which on first glance you think, eh, Pete Carroll, eh, it just doesn't feel like a guy who's going to win Coach of the Year this year. But then you look at their division price of plus 195 and you ask yourself, like, is he, if they win the division, is he really plus 700 to win Coach of the Year? Like, no, he's got to be shorter than that. So maybe there's a bit of meat on the bone there. It just feels like he's just not going to win Coach of the Year. But uh, I guess this team does have upside to maybe get to 13 uh, and 4, and that would probably put Carroll in the mix. Uh, he did get votes last year, and, and he was thereabouts in the mix, but probably didn't get the attention that you'd want. He basically had the same season last year as Brian Dayball, uh, but just in the Pacific Northwest didn't get the attention. Uh, any of those prices that you like? 
I can't in good conscience play any Seattle awards markets because there is a four game stretch for them uh, in the time of the year where everybody's, you know, pulling out the pen and here we go with my, who's my awards, you know, you know, decision piece. Uh, they have two Thursday night games, one of them on Thanksgiving against the Niners. They follow up the next week at Dallas. They follow up the next week at the Niners again. And then they round this four pack off. Home versus the Eagles. Now they have a couple of uh, travel disadvantages in here. They have one rest advantage. Uh, but overall, if you lose those four games, and again, like you're kind of at a travel disadvantage against all of the elite teams on your roster, Baltimore, Cincinnati, uh, the Detroit game, even the Giants game, everywhere where you are an underdog, you are at a little bit of a disadvantage for rest and travel. All of this to me spells trouble that uh, you know, even if they are a playoff team, uh, I think people are going to be able to say, well, yeah, but they're not as good as everyone here who beat them. And, you know, particularly with that four game stretch leading into people making awards decisions, I think it's going to throw cold water on anybody's chances of anything. Yep. I think that makes sense. Uh, last year, I mean, they didn't have too many impressive victories, Seattle. Uh, they did their job uh, taking out the lesser teams, but I mean, their best wins were. You know, at Detroit, when Detroit were going through what their one-six start to the season, they did beat the Chargers pretty handily. That's a nice win. Uh, but outside of that, beating the Rams a couple of times, beating the Cardinals a couple of times, uh, when they did come up against the best teams, uh, they did struggle. All right, before we get to the remaining two teams in the NFC West, there is no better place to be in Boston on a Sunday morning, the legendary Fenway Park. See if the Red Sox can close the gap for the last wildcard spot when they host the Detroit Tigers at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on MLB leadoff. Stream the action live exclusively on Peacock this Sunday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner, too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. All right. Your LA Rams at Rams training camp for some reason unknown to God. Uh, the win total for your Rams is six and a half, slightly backed under. Uh, quite a steep fall from Grace from stuffing some RJP Ryan and uh, winning the Super Bowl not too long ago. They're minus 400 to miss the playoffs. That seems about right. Nine to one to win the division. Uh, any, any hope for your Rams? Um, so the fact that the Rams won the Super Bowl less than what, it was just two years ago feels like it feels like 
15 years ago. Like I, it's it's amazing uh, the roster turnover between that team that took the field uh, on Super Bowl Sunday and who they currently have rostered. Um, and even the guys who are, you know, who were, you know, the sort of the stars and scrubs, the stars part of that equation for the Rams. Uh, they're all older. There's injury question marks swirling. Um, and there's, you know, the fabric that ties them together is, is, is even weaker. Um, I, I joke. I, this is not a joke. This is sincere. The second best player on the Rams defense, they signed today. Johnson, the third, they're bringing him back as safety. Like perfectly, yeah, perfectly good safety. I don't know why the Browns let him walk out the door. That guy, you know, he could absolutely play ball, a good contributor. He is clearly to me the second best graded defensive player on this roster, which is a huge problem. And I, like I Durant, <laughs> and, uh, Russ Yeast. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I think. I think realistically, we're going to get to answer. This is. This is a. It's a weird team. It's a weird roster. If you ever wanted to know the question of what would happen if you took a Hall of Fame defensive tackle and you put ten replacement players around him, how would you grade that defense? We're going to find out this year. I do not know what the answer is. I think it's pretty straightforward to game plan against these guys. Three hats on Donald, and then we'll find somewhere else that we'll be. We can beat them. Um, this is. You know, this is a August 7th opinion for what it's worth. These guys, as they get reps, if the coaching staff is worth what they're paying Sean McVay, they're going to develop these guys into, you know, contributory players. And they should be better in November and December than they are currently. But the idea that this team is going to come out and take the league by storm right out of the gate it's not going to be with defense, which means it's going to have to be on the arm of Stafford. It's going to have to be uh, with a well-protected, uh, you know, with with, a, with good protection, better protection than we saw from them last year. Uh, and it's going to have to be with the healthy Cooper Cup. And right now, all of three of those questions are still huge swirling question marks. I don't know that Stafford's healthy. I don't know the Cup's going to be healthy. And I definitely don't have good vibes about this offensive line that is currently has battles at tackle and center undergoing right now at camp. This is not good. You don't want to be undecided at those positions. You want to have stability. You want to build continuity with the offensive line. I rank their offensive line currently 31st in the NFL, their interior offensive line 32nd. Uh, so Stafford may ultimately, I don't know, he may regret coming back this season. I don't know. Uh, but I definitely worry about, uh, you know, just in general, how he's going to hold up physically, considering the severity of his elbow injury and just, you know, the state of this offensive line. So, um, you know, the Rams got lucky to win the Super Bowl the year they did. Everybody that they needed to stay healthy stayed healthy. Their path through the NFC, the weak NFC, had them land a home NFC championship game. And then they effectively had a home Super Bowl against a guy who was making his third or fourth ever playoff start in Joe Burrow. So they were extremely lucky not to have to go through Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers and to be at home for a majority of that run. If that didn't happen, I think we would all look at sort of their all-in approach and have much more sincere questions about whether that's a viable strategy. And I think uh, in general, the Rams would uh, you know, be wise to take more draft and develop approach going forward instead of doing that again on the fly. So, um, yeah. Interesting team, the Rams this year, um, but it's a team that I'm perfectly happy to bet against early. Uh, let the market find the bottom on them, and then maybe as these guys get reps and are better later in the year, we uh, we start uh, making a case that the Rams are a bet on again. But it certainly is not going to be in September for me. 
Yeah, I think if if Tart catches that interception uh, in the fourth yeah. quarter of the NFC title game, then the Rams are viewed um, as quite a disaster. But he dropped it, uh, and then they won the Super Bowl and, and deserved to win that game. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this team. I think that individually, if you get good seasons out of Stafford, Cup, Donald, the problem is is that even when those guys were healthy last year and had Jalen Ramsey and just had overall more talent, they were still terrible last year. They were getting blown out by double digits against the Bills, against the Niners twice, against uh, the Cowboys. Uh, it was just ugly all around. There was just no hope whatsoever on the offensive line. And I think it's possibly even gotten worse coming into this season. And to your point about the experiment around the defense, uh, yeah, there's just nothing around Aaron Donald. Uh, I don't, I would just be very wary of like Cooper Cup's going in the top five of fantasy drafts at the moment and is a top five or six favorite for offensive player of the year. Just the way these things generally go across all sports, I think, is that when you have a team that's this barren in talent around veteran superstars, veteran superstars often aren't playing at the end of the season, particularly when you think of the health issues that Stafford has had. So I wouldn't be touching any of these players uh in any capacity really it does feel a little bit offensive that aaron donald is 25 to 1 to win defensive player of the year uh still playing at you know a top five defensive player in the league level but you just you can't back that with the talent around him uh and the team around him uh you cannot back plus 900 to win the division that's just burning money and at that point just go back sean mcveigh 30 to 1 coach of the year because they win this division He's going to be like minus 600 to win coaches uh, at that point with his talent. So uh, I don't think there's any awards or individual player bets to make on this team. Yeah, no, we I think we agree. And um, I think we could have a good laugh in January if ultimately Aaron Donald plays 17 games and the Rams are the 25th best defense in the NFL. He might have been the most, the best. He might have been the best defensive player of the year because elevating that group to twenty fifth, uh, you know, would 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 be impressive. That said, uh, it's not going to be wins for these guys, I don't think. And I think realistically, I get it. You you have you you don't want to tear apart a team that just won a Super Bowl. You want to give the fans something to be excited about for the future. But they realistically should be thinking about what can we get for Donald? What can we get for Cup? Because those guys have value right now. And Cup uh, is all of a sudden a super interesting piece fantasy-wise if he's on another squad in December. Indeed. All right. Speaking of barren wastelands, let's go to the Arizona Cardinals, whose win total is four and a half. They're plus 225 to have the least regular season wins. And we can talk about that market, but that is about as short as you can get. I think the Texans might have been similar last year from memory. Uh, they are 10 to 1 to make the playoffs, minus 2,000 to miss, uh, 25 to 1 to win the division. Uh, Super Bowl odds are listed uh, 200 to 1. Jonathan Gannon, 30 to 1 coach of the year. Uh, let's talk about the least regular season wins at plus 225. I think I've had a lot of people message me about how, like how how do they not have the worst record? And I think just what sometimes people just don't feel is that like someone's going to lose their quarterback early in the season mm -hmm. and someone's going to deal with a rash of injuries and the Cardinals are going to get fumble luck or whatever and they're going to end up at four wins or thereabouts. And yes, they may be the worst team. They are the most likely to be the worst team, but just the way that things happen in the NFL, uh, I wouldn't be touching plus 225. But what do you think of that market? Yeah, that price isn't good enough for me. 
I think uh, they are. I don't know if you know this, but they're dogs in every single game that's currently available to be bet on through all the look ahead markets. Um, and your point is completely fair. Some other team's going to lose their quarterback, whereas Arizona is going to maybe get their quarterback back. I don't have a strong read on whether Kyler Murray is going to take a snap this year, um, but I think you know they certainly are going to have you know some pressure from the fan base, presumably, uh, to put a competitive product on the field towards the end of the season. If Kyler Murray is healthy and they're paying him, then I would be surprised if he's not ultimately uh, you know, sent out there. Now, that doesn't move the needle for this team going from what is currently a not an NFL roster to all of a sudden being you know, you know, a league average team. There are still some humongous holes on this roster. The offensive line I have ranked 30th. Skill position group I have ranked 28th. Uh, the defense I have 31st. Uh, the only bright spot on the defense is the defensive backfield I have ranked 10th. There's a couple of pieces there uh, that are kind of exciting. Um, Buda Baker inclusive. Like, you know, he's, you know, there are some pieces there that uh, you can kind of build around defensively. Um, but Jonathan Gannon is not a coach that I've ever had an especially strong affinity for. Uh, and I think realistically, the, you know, the idea that this team is going to be positioning themselves for the draft, not just with their pick, but with the Houston Texans pick as well at the top of next year's draft, um, they've done something pretty cool, which is that uh, they could turn this thing around on a fly and put together one of the least impressive performances this year, but all of a sudden be uh, you know a team that we're trying to talk ourselves into. Are they live for the NFC West? this time next year. So uh, I don't think we're going to make that case, but <laughs> you never know. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the middle part of their season where they have games against Atlanta, Houston, the Rams, um, and then end the season with some games, Chicago and Seattle. You know, there's, you know, if Kyler Murray is available, they could be coin flips in a couple of those. Uh, and at that point, getting to four wins seems realistic to me. Yeah, I think there's enough semi-competence on the roster uh, that they should be able to eke their way to four wins. Uh, in terms of the quarterback situation, uh, how does the market move if Clayton Tune is the starter in week one against uh, the commanders? Right now they are effectively six and a half point dogs on the road to Sam Howell, which shows you where the Cardinals are at at the moment. If the market moves that far away, then I think the bet is Cardinals are pass. <laughs> as insane as that sounds, uh, Colt McCoy's uh, tape thus far through training camp has been the least inspirational tape of anyone who is expected to be a week one starter. Um, he's not going to be able to attack downfield. I don't know that uh, necessarily uh, he's ever a guy that you wanted to do that with anyway, um, but I certainly would expect that the defensive strength of the commanders and uh, you know the relative one-dimensional nature of the Cardinals offense in that particular matchup spells trouble for Arizona. If Clayton Toon is in there, now there's a little bit more uncertainty. Uh, he's probably not going to be very good right out of the gate because he's, you know, just because of his draft status. Um, but the idea that the, at least the commanders won't entirely know what's coming, I think, is real. And if he has a mistake free game, could he cover a seven and a half, eight point spread against the commanders? Sure. Uh, so I think right now, as I look at that week one game, uh, I think 40 points is insane. Uh, I don't think realistically this gets above the high 30s. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I would expect, uh, news of tune will drive the total down and it may drive the uh, point spread uh, a bit too far. Yep. I like it. All right. Before we wrap up favorite bets 
in the division. The only stuff I bet in this division are Niners minus one sixty range to win the division, and then also uh, you can shop around. You can probably still find some Kyle Shanahan coach of the year at forty to one, and I think that is just a bet on the Niners winning fifteen games uh, or more and being the story of the league and being considered clearly the best team in the league and then maybe get some some Monty Williams uh, kind of year two after losing to Thibodeau uh, respect in the coach of the year market uh, as a makeup for not winning last year. So uh, I think if you can get 40 to one Shanahan coach of the year is a decent uh, enough bet, but what do you like most in, in this division? Uh, if I had to make a bet with the highest confidence on anything, it is very clearly San Francisco to win the West in the 160 range. Uh, that should be and by my numbers. That should be closer to minus 300. That's a big edge for me. And, and that a ton of it is just comes from the specific matchups of this is a two horse race. This is a relatively straightforward handicap. And if you think in either of those matchups, uh, you're going to get Seattle inside of a field goal. I mean, in Seattle, uh, considering that portion of their schedule and having taken some losses against some elite teams by that point, uh, I just I don't think you're going to see. You know, assuming Brock Purdy is fully recovered from the elbow injury and that there's not some other major meaningful injury to the Niners, then uh, those two contests tilt pretty heavily to the Niners for me. Um, I don't hate uh, Rams' worst record or low fewest wins. You know, sure. uh, for, you know, Rams kind of being in the discussion, particularly if they pull the plug on Stafford, trade some of these elite, uh, you know, stars that, uh, you know, don't really fit with the rest of the roster, then uh, that could be a fun one if you can find that in the 8-1 to one to 10-1 to one range. Um, but maybe my favorite two angles right now, uh, both week one plays, and it's under 40 in that uh, Commanders-Cardinals game. Uh, and I will be laying the points with the Seattle Seahawks against the Rams. I think that should be closer to a touchdown. Yep, uh, I like it. I think this is it's a unique division in that you don't usually get a division where two teams, well, one team in Arizona, I think can be just about completely written off for the division. And then the Rams can almost be completely written off for the division as well. And then you're looking at a head-to-head fight. I know like there's the AFC South, but like the Colts and the Texans have a lot better chance to win the division uh, than the Rams and the Cardinals, I think. So it is a unique uh, division in that regard. And I think that the Niners, uh, if you can get them in that minus 160 range, which is out there, uh, are a worthwhile bet. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those of you watching on our NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder, find all your favorite NBC Sports music just head to amazon.com slash mbc sports they crouch and sunburn through thin stick we'll speak to you soon deets and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow & Grow. 
Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.